Right, it's a real joy to have Terry to come and speak to us this morning. Um, Terry made contact um, a little while ago. Um, and actually, I will just say, so Centro guys, if you're watching on here now, I really hope this works. Um, you know, otherwise, I know you'll be down at the theatre, but the team put in a huge amount of effort just to get this working down there. So we're hoping, it's great to have you hooking in online um, to be able to see it as well. But Terry, you, just, do you, wanna, you spoke to a little while ago, didn't you? You just made contacts and felt that you had a word for us at church and you wanted to come and spend time with us. That's, that's right, isn't it? I've got that right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so Terry just said, could I, could I come and spend some time with you as a church? And we kind of just wrote off July and said, please come and spend, spend as much time as possible with us. I just, yeah. So I want to respect and honor this man in the way that he's just led our movement of churches, just shown what it is to be a disciple of Jesus well. And um, I'm hugely grateful for that personally. I know that many in the room are hugely grateful for that as well. So we're so grateful for you being here the next few weeks. And um, let's welcome Terry Virgo. That's great. Thank you. That's super. That's brilliant. That's fine. Thanks so much. It's a real pleasure to be here, back in this lovely building. It's great to be together. It's great to see half a face. I mean, it'd be better to see a whole face, but smiling eyes really help, and it's a, it's a blessing to be together again. It's great to hear that soon we'll be together without any restrictions. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And uh, just to be back in your house, back with you. I was chatting to John Groves, and that led to me just to start praying for you, and I felt God just put it in my heart, as Ollie said, uh, to be with you. And I, uh, I've never done this before, all these years. I've never done it. I asked, can I please come? And can I come for a month? And uh, uh, he said, yeah, which was good, exciting response. And so I hope and pray that I can be a blessing to you uh, through this month. I was, I was praying in the book of Ezra, and I had thought that's what I was going to bring to you. But I feel God said to me that I want you to speak about my grace uh, to my people. After a season of uh, the lockdown, the difficulties that have been referred to, the sense of yeah, this is a bit overwhelming. It's kind of like a cloud. Uh, and I believe God's saying, now lift people's heads, lift their hearts. And uh, that's what I pray that I might do for you over these four weeks. So each week I want to build on this uh, value and I hope establish you uh, more powerfully in the grace of God, his mercy, his love, and his delight in you. I just brought a few books. I do that every time I come out to preach. There's a table at the back. Uh, please take advantage of that. Uh, I've just written a book just a couple of weeks ago. It came out, published, God's Treasured Possession. That's you. We've just been hearing about his delight in us. And I really felt when we had the lockdown, and it happened uh, last year, and my diary had just loads and loads of stuff in it. I was going to the States three times. I was going to Canada. I was going to India. I was going to South Africa. I was going to Holland. I was going to France. I was, and I put a line through the whole thing. And I thought, Lord, what do I do? And uh, I felt, often people have said, are you writing anything at the moment? And uh, I would say, no, I haven't got time. And uh, I felt God said, no, write. And so I really felt I met with him as I wrote and uh, this is uh, how God led the people of Israel out of captivity into a glorious inheritance. And I first worked on that when I was leading the church in Brighton. And I felt God said to me, you're going to take these people on a journey. And uh, we started with, uh, I think, about 37 people in that Brighton church. I remember being with you 
on your second week when there were 24 people here. I remember very well. That's why you're in my heart. Um, I've been with you from the beginning in that. And uh, I just felt, take them on a journey. And uh, Moses went on a journey with people. And many lessons on the, on the journey which were so relevant to us. I think you'll find it a blessing that's on the table. And then the other book I brought with me, God's Lavish Grace, which will back up what I'm going to preach to you over these weeks and open that all up for you. And I encourage you just to take advantage of their being on the table there at the back. Okay, I'm just going to read one verse to you to start with, and that's found in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. It's hardly worth turning there, although you might like to, because I'm just going to read one verse. It's a bit difficult to interrupt the Apostle Paul once he gets started. Uh, He kind of builds an argument, and uh, I could read the whole of chapter 5, but I'm just going to read one verse which kind of sums up all that he's saying in that chapter. Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 17. For, and he's comparing and contrasting here the devastation caused by Adam's sin, how he wrecked the human race, kind of polluted us all, messed us all up, and then how Jesus came and started another, another race, another people, and the contrast between what Adam did and what Jesus did. And so verse 17 says this, If by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through that one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your delight in your church that you sing over us. Lord, it's amazing to us that you care for us like this. Now I pray in Jesus' name, Father, for your word to come with revelation, opening the eyes of our hearts, giving us grace to see and step into what you've done for us by your grace. Ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall Reign in life. Reign in life. What a, an amazing phrase that is. It's very vivid, isn't it? Reigning in life. It's kind of being on top rather than under. It's kind of, yeah, we're up for it. We're happy. We're reigning in life. What a tremendous phrase that is. And it's not uh, an isolated phrase in the Bible. You'll find similar phrases that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just conquerors, more than conquerors. A bit like last night in Rome, more than conquerors. You know, we, we are more than, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. And then it also says he always re- leads us in, in, in his victory. Always leads us in his victory in triumph in Christ Jesus. Now, these are very vivid phrases. And, and they kind of sound wonderful. You know, reigning in love, more than conquerors, always in triumph. And yet, sometimes you think of yourself and you think, hmm, if only. It ain't ain't quite where I am. That's where I'd like to be. Uh, And sometimes we feel this kind of longing that we might be experiencing more of what it says in the Bible. It's not the way I am. I want to be like it. Uh, And sometimes we come to a kind of crisis 
Maybe it's we're away at a conference somewhere and we've, we've left other things and we're really focused and, and we, we hear a word. And, and maybe we come forward at a meeting and say, Lord, I want to be for you everything you want me to be. And that kind of aspiration gets stirred up again. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Or maybe it comes at the end of the year. You know, you come to the end of one year, maybe you get a new diary. You haven't messed up any pages in it yet. And there's a whole year. You think, yeah, and you think... I'm sorry about that, yeah, Lord. That, that, you know, that wasn't what I wanted. Um, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to start again. That whole feel, I can start again with you. When you serve a risen Christ, one who rose from the dead, that concept of starting again is very real. I want to start again. Now, it's wonderful when you feel that, whether it's at a conference or the beginning of a new year. It's a great thing to feel, yeah, I want to go for it. Now, the tragedy is that very often we kind of go through the wrong door. It's like there's two doors waiting, and, and we say, yeah, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it's at that moment we, we fail to read the small print. We say, well, I'm going to do it. Now, how am I going to do it? Well, for one thing, I'm going to set my alarm clock earlier. Every, every morning I'm going to get up, I'm going to pray more. Uh, and I'm, and I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going I'm to read the whole Bible. Uh, but now, how many pages is that? That's, uh, so I've got to read like seven, eight pages a day. Uh, I'm going to read my whole Bible this year. I'm going to do it. And I, I'm, I heard a guy once whom I met, he said, I said I'm going to witness to one person every day. I'm going to do this thing. And I remember he said to me one night, he's just exhausted. He's, just, he's getting ready for bed. He's put his head on the pillow. He thought, I haven't witnessed to anybody today. And he got dressed and he rushed out looking down the street trying to find someone because he's got to do this stuff. And this is the trap that we get ourselves into. I reign in life if only I could do some more. If only I could keep some rules. I'll set myself some rules to live by and then if I can live by the rules, I'll reign in life. And that is such a trap. And it's not what the verse says. But we often think that way. We often think that way. It's interesting, Paul says this in Galatians 5, verse 4. You who would be justified by law have fallen from grace. You see, when you talk about falling from grace, you often think, well, you know, you've backslidden or something, but Paul doesn't say that. This phrase, fallen from grace, which gets used in all kinds of contexts, you know, he's always no longer this, he's fallen from grace. In the Bible, it's not backsliding, it's getting into rules and regulations. That's what he's saying. You who would be justified by law have fallen from grace. That's, what, that's the way he uses it. Again, in, Galatia, in Romans 10 and verse 4, Christ is the end of the law to those who believe. Now, just to remind you, why did Paul write to the Galatians? Why did he say to them, you who would be justified by law have fallen from grace? Well, when he wrote to the Galatians, it was because Paul had been to Galatia, he preached the gospel, and many had become Christians. And if you read in Galatians 3, for instance, the Holy Spirit is there, signs and wonders are happening, there's tremendous stuff going on, it's a great church, great church. Paul's brought to birth, the Spirit has come, we're the people of God, wonderful. And then being an apostle, the, apost the, the apostle Paul leaves them, God bless you, be with you, I'm off to another town to do it again. And when he left, the 
so-called Judaizers moved in behind him. Who were the Judaizers? Well, they're probably Christians, but Christians with a very strong Jewish root. And they were confusing the Old Testament with the New Testament. So they came in here. This is what clearly happened. And they said to these Galatians, hey, it's great. You received our Messiah. God said, God said in the Bible the Gentiles would come. Hey, it's great. Welcome. We're so glad you found our Messiah. It's wonderful. Um, but we've known him for centuries. I mean, we know what he really, really does want. And really, if you're, gonna, if you're really going to keep him happy, um, you shouldn't eat that food. That, that's, that's not acceptable food. And uh, you, must keep, you must keep the Sabbath. That, that's something we've always done, always done that. And, and you must remember certain feast days. You have to, God always requires you must keep the feast days, and actually, you need to be circumcised. And it's like, just to make sure all's well. And it's like, look, I know you've received the Messiah, but if you really want to make sure that everything's okay, you need to add these other things. That's what happened. And Paul wrote Galatians, which is his angriest letter. He says, you fools, who's bewitched you? Man, bewitched, add a few laws, bewitched. Who's bewitched you? What are you playing at? You think you can add to Christ? You think you can improve on Christ? What are you doing? He's furious with them. You see, now not many people are saying that to you. Not many people are saying to you, no, you need to do this and this and this. But what can happen? I know when I got saved, I got saved. And out of the blue, I mean, I had no Christian background at all. My parents were not Christians. I knew nothing. And then I got saved. And then, and then someone came to me and said, you've become a Christian. I said, yeah, I've become a Christian. Can I help you? Oh, please, do help me. Now listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. You must read your Bible every day. Oh, okay. Got it, got it. I must read my Bible every day. And you must pray. Uh, yeah, okay, got to pray, got to pray. And um, I shouldn't wear those kind of clothes. Oh, all right. And uh, do you really have to do your hair like that? That's no, no. And so it's like, got it? Okay, have you got it? You've got it? Got it, got it. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I feel so released by the gospel. <laughs> so set me free. Uh, and you think, hey, what happened to me? I, I kind of got all this stuff that I have to do now to be acceptable to God. And I thought I just got saved, but where am I? Where am I? And a lot of Christians are there, beloved. A lot of, a lot of well-meaning Christians. I was there as a pastor. I was pastoring a church I was there. Every time I got up from my knees praying, Satan said, is that it then? You finished? When I read my Bible, are you going to read some more? That kind of cloud of, are you really worthy? Are you really doing enough? See, that's where Christians get tied up. And they think, I'll reign in life by making sure. I'll get up earlier. I'll pray more. And we get caught in this trap that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So I didn't read much to you just now. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law to those who believe. And he says this, you're not under law, you're under grace. Wait a minute. Jesus said, the law will never pass away. How come Paul says you're not under law? Jesus said it will never pass away. So what's going on here? 
Who's right? Are they arguing with one another? What do we mean? Uh, if I asked, if I had a show of hands, I'm not going to do it, all right? If we had a show of hands, how many Christians think that a Christian is under the law? How many think Christians are not under the law? If I had a show of hands, I think we might be looking to see what are the elders doing. Uh, we're not quite sure where we stand. So let's just quickly look at Romans chapter 7. All right? I'm just going to read half a dozen verses. We only read one verse before. Romans 7, half a dozen verses. I'm reading for the NASB. Do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while the husband is living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6, now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Okay, so Paul is giving us an illustration, and he uses the illustration of marriage. And he says, like, the law is our husband, we're married to the law. That's the illustration he uses. He says, you're married to the law. You've got this arrangement, you're married to the law. That's what he's saying here. And the law is a very correct husband. You can't argue with him because he's right. You know he's right. He's holy and pure and good. He's a great husband. But the, the problem is, because he's so pure and holy, it makes me feel kind of in difficulties. Now, we've got to remember this, and we'll come back to it later. The Bible says this, Satan is the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. I wonder if you thought about that. That is Satan's chief weapon against Christians. He accuses. The word Satan means accuser. That's his chief weapon against you. It's not that he lives downtown, he's trying to get you. No, no, he accuses you. He says, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You're a terrible Christian. That's his main weapon, to get your head down. He's accusing us. So he gets behind this whole thing. Okay, so we're married to this beautiful husband, except that he's holy and pure, and I can't argue with him because he's right. But tragically, he never lifts a finger to help He's right, and he's telling me what's good for me. He's telling me good stuff, but he never helps. I hope I can't see too many wives going, I think he might be talking about you, dear. No. <laughs> so he's right, and he's good, and he's great, but he never helps me. You think, well, what, how can I get through this? And the way Paul starts the, this chapter, it sounds like the husband needs to die. Because he says, you can't be joined to another one while he's alive. So you think, well, you better kill off the law then. But Jesus said the law will never die. We're stuck. You're permanently married 
to a fault-finding, correct, overbearing, unhelpful husband who's never going to die. Hallelujah. <laughs> it ain't, ain't religion wonderful? You're stuck, except you're not stuck. Because Paul, amazingly, says this. Verse 4, you were made to die through the body of Christ. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Paul's favorite phrase for a Christian is someone who is in Christ. The word Christian, I think, only appears three times in the New Testament. In Christ, it's dozens, scores and scores of times. In Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We're in him. We're in Christ. And he's saying this, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, through your being in Christ. So what, what does that mean? Well, it means this. Christ, if we can put it this way, had two relationships with the law. One was perfect obedience. Absolutely righteous. The Bible calls him innocent. It's the word that's used to describe Jesus. He was innocent. He was flawless. He said at the end of his ministry, which of you finds fault with me? He challenged them. Again, he said, Satan's coming. He's got nothing on me. So Jesus was innocent. Jesus is pure, perfect. But when he comes up to the cross, God, who made him, who knew no sin, that's another testimony, he knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us. Jesus, at the cross, is the personification of sin, guilt, and shame. He was made to be sin. He took our place. He took all the guilt. He took all the punishment. He became sin, and God judged him. And the law was utterly upheld and vindicated. God didn't say, oh, let's just forgive them. God can't say, oh, let's just forgive them. God is righteous and holy and true. He's the creator of the universe. He can't just, oh, let's forgive. That must be paid for. That guilt, that shame, that terrible stuff. I mean, John Newton, we love singing his hymn, don't we? Amazing grace. Well, John Newton was a slave owner. He owned slave ships. He used to take hundreds of slaves across the Atlantic. And when they died, he threw them overboard. It says of all these slave captains, they raped the women. This is a disgusting man. Someone needs to pay. Jesus said, I'll pay. I'll pay. God can't say, oh, let's just forgive him. And Jesus took the guilt. He took the shame. And John Newton got born again. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. He paid for me. He paid for me. But Paul says he not only died in our place, but we died in him. That when Christ died, we died. That's what it says here. You were made to die to the law. It's not that the law has died. The law keeps speaking. The law still speaks. Paul says elsewhere, the law is good, providing you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, who've been crucified with Christ, but for sinners. That law keeps on speaking. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The law wakes us up to sinfulness. But it doesn't do any good to the believer. We have been discharged. It says in verse 4, glance down, or verse 6 rather, now we have been released from the law. There's a great Bible preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones in the last century, perhaps the greatest preacher of that century. He used this illustration. 
He says, like a soldier. He's in the army, and he's being told, do this, do that, turn left, turn right. You know, whatever the sergeant says, you do. And then comes the moment when you're discharged. I'm out, I'm finished, I've done it. And he says, imagine a soldier when he's been discharged. And he says he's strolling across the parade ground. He's got no tie on. He's got his jacket over his shoulder. He's whistling along. And the sergeant turns the corner and says, Soldier! Sarge! I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Bye, Sarge. And it doesn't matter how much he shouts, he can't touch you. You're out. You're discharged. He has no more authority over you. It's finished. It says here, you have been discharged from the law. We've been set free from it. That's what the Bible plainly teaches, that we're no longer under the law's authority. But then let's just see what it says in verse 4. You were made to die to the law. We've died to it. It's finished. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. I've done it. He's accomplished it. He fulfilled the law. It's done. Right. Therefore, you've been made to die to the Lord through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another. Who's that? Well, to him who was raised from the dead. We know that is Jesus. We've died to that overbearing husband who kept telling us you're falling short. Do better, do better. You must not. He said, oh, I've died to him in order that I might be joined to him who was raised from the dead. Now I've got a new husband. We've died to that husband. We've got a new husband. And not only do we have a new husband, it says this, we've been joined to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now that is so important. We see what the Bible says. Every phrase is important. You've died to that old overbearing husband. It's finished. It's over. Jesus paid the debt in order that we might join, be joined to this new husband, that we might bear fruit. Now, talking about the law, there is no reference to fruit bearing. The law didn't make me bear fruit. It told me what he wanted, but it didn't make me bear fruit. In fact, it says in Galatians and chapter 3 and verse 21, a very important statement where Paul is making his argument. It says in Galatians 3:21. If there was a law that was able to impart life, then righteousness would be based on law. If the law could impart life, yeah, then it would produce righteousness. But the law can't impart any life. You see, if it was the law that could do it, hey, let's get into all the schools, shall we? Let's just tell all those teenagers, just tell them, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall, just go and tell them. If the law imparts life, tell them the law. But the law doesn't impart any life. It doesn't change anybody. He's a husband who's impotent. He wants me to bear fruit, but he can't impart any life to me. That's what the Bible says. The law can tell me I'm a sinner, but can't impart life. He's a very frustrating husband. Now we've, made, we've been joined to one who's been raised from the dead that we might bear fruit for God. Because he's a life-imparting husband. He says things like this, my peace 
I give you. My love, I'll pour it out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. My joy, I'll give it to you. Man alive, this is a, this is a potent husband. He changes me from the inside. He puts a new spirit within me. That's the new covenant we've been celebrating as we break bread. I put my spirit within them. I give them a new heart. This is a powerful husband we found. We bear fruit for God. And so the law can't do that. Now, if you meet with Christians, sometimes you say, how's it going? Uh, a bit up and down. How are you doing as a Christian? Uh, a bit up and down. I want to suggest to you, it's not so much up and down as husband to husband. We tend to do that. We tend to think, oh, I'm not doing so well lately. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. And we go back to the old husband in order to please the new husband. Doesn't work, you know. Imagine you've got yourself a new husband. We're not, we're not doing very well lately. I'm so sorry. Let me go and develop my relationship with the old husband. Will that help? Not really. Not really. See, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, where he feels he's been shut out, and he says, I'm at the door knocking. You've grown lukewarm. I'm at the door knocking. If you will go and do this and this and this and this. No, he doesn't say that. He said, if you will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into you. Oh, what a husband. I'll sup with you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I never go back to the old husband. See, that is the most freeing thing. When I saw Grace as a young pastor who had been filled with the Spirit and had laid hands on lots of people to be filled with the Spirit, when I saw grace, I thought, oh my word, I've never seen that before. It's done, it's finished. I never go back to justifying myself. I never go there again. If I have grown lukewarm, Lord Jesus, I just open the door to you again. Come in, Lord, hallelujah. Because he's the life-imparting husband. He changes me from the inside. So we never go back. We reign in life, not because we have tried to accumulate something for ourselves, but because we receive this abundance of grace. We're not under law. God's done an amazing thing for us. He's freed us. And then it says this last thing, and the free gift of righteousness. We reign in life through grace. Hallelujah. I'm going to reign because of what Jesus has done. The free gift, thank you Jesus, and the free gift of righteousness. In other words, I'm not trying to establish my own righteousness. Paul says about, in Philippians, he says about the Jews, he says, they're going around trying to establish a righteousness of their own based on law, instead of receiving the righteousness, which is a gift from God. See, otherwise it's like this. Let me, let me just kind of, I'll, I'll pretend I'm a, I'm a wife here, Okay. So, you know, we go home, we get down, we, we, we get up tomorrow morning, we pray, pray, Lord, God bless my husband at work today, make him a blessing. You know, Lord, he's a, he's a godly man, and uh, let his light shine, and I'd love, to, I'd love to encourage him. How can I, I know what I'll do, I'll get, oh, I'm going to go and get a special meal. That'd be nice. I'll, I'll, I know what he'd like. I'll get him a real nice steak. I'll, get, I'll really surprise him. He's been through a tough patch. I'm almost supposed to be praying, aren't I? Oh, yeah. I, thought, I was praying, wasn't I? What was I praying about? Oh, yeah. It's the missionary thing this weekend. 
Oh, yeah. Lord, Lord, bless the missionary supper this weekend. Uh, bless the missionaries who are coming to talk about what... Yeah, yeah. When they come and talk about what they're doing on the mission field, uh, at our supper... Uh, oh, yeah, the supper. I said I'd do a quiche, and I haven't done it. I better, I, oh, gosh, I better get down to the shop. I, I'm, oh, yeah, what about the shop? Oh, yeah, I could get that. At the same time, I get the steak. Oh, that would be fun. I could do that. That bless him, and I'll get... I was supposed to be praying. Oh, I'm a terrible prayer. I try and pray, my brain goes out the window. It's just useless prayer. I better get down to my Bible reading because my praying is useless. Uh, where was I in my reading? Oh, yeah, I was going through. I got to Leviticus, didn't I? I remember, yeah. Um, and the priest shall remove from the offering all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat which covers the entrails and the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. <laughs> you see, and, and Satan comes along and says, getting a lot out of it, are we? <laughs> and you say, I haven't got a clue what it's all about. I'm a terrible Christian. I can't pray. The Bible doesn't make any sense to me. I'm useless. See, that, 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 that is so sad because you're, kind of, you're trying to reign in life, to use our Bible phrase, by accumulating stuff that you do. Like I read my Bible well. I pray well. You say, well, Terry, don't you pray anymore? Yeah, I, like, I quite enjoy praying as it happens. But I don't pray and then say to God, hey, 20 minutes, impressive, eh? Points for that. I don't. I really don't. It's all done. It's finished. I don't have to do that. I pray because I want to get some answers. I pray because I actually enjoy being in the presence of God. I am not praying to try and earn points. And when I read the Bible, yeah, I do read the Bible. I'm preaching it verse by verse here. I love it. But I'm not trying to impress God. Jesus has impressed God for me. I'm hidden in one who's already impressed God. God loves him. God celebrates him. And I'm hidden in him. I reign in life. This is grace, beloved. This is the grace of God. It sets us free. It sets us free. We're saved people. We're not people trying hard to shake off condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's done it. It's finished. We can celebrate. We can celebrate. You say, don't you read? Yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, of course I love reading the Bible. But I do it for a different reason. I want to learn some more. I want to understand some more. I'm not trying to be a good Christian. I'm not trying to earn points. I want to get to know my husband better. I want him to impart his life to me more. Because he's the one who will impart life to me. This living seed in my heart. And so we're in this new relationship. We never go back. See, some of us, we, we feel like, if I can put it this way, let this, this, this arm represents condemnation. We feel condemned. Think, well, you, oh, I'm trying harder. I'm trying harder. I'm cover, I pray more. I read my Bible more. You know, I'm trying to get rid of condemnation. I'm trying harder. And then Satan comes and says, have you heard about Jane? No, what about Jane. She fasts twice a week. Oh no, fast twice a week. I've got to do that as well now. 
So that's what we're like. We hear something, I've got to do that as well. It's like me, I used to commute to London every day. My job in London, I worked in London, lived in Brighton. And I heard a friend of mine who went through the whole train giving out tracks in every compartment. And I thought, oh, I've got to do that now. <laughs> honestly, honestly. I just got on my knees, Lord. Because I've got to do this stuff. Somehow, how am I going to be acceptable? It's done, it's finished. He's done it. He set me free. Otherwise, every new thing, it takes you down, down, down. And you see, the answer to condemnation is not sanctification. It isn't. The answer to condemnation is justification. He's justified me freely as a gift and declared me righteous. Hallelujah. I don't have to do it. He did it. That's the whole point of the gospel of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, when they brought their lambs, it was preparing us for this. Jesus is our lamb. But in the Old Testament, they had to bring a lamb to the priest, and they'd give their lamb to the priest, and the priest would take the lamb and look at the lamb. Any broken limbs? Is it blind? Is it diseased? And he's not looking at me to see, hey, you've got all mud on here. Hey, this is all torn. It's irrelevant. All eyes are on the lamb. And then the priest would say, I find no fault in it. There's nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted because there's nothing wrong with my lamb. Even, even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. My lamb's perfect. I'm accepted. I was praying once. I really felt God said this to me. I was praying. And as I'm praying, I felt God reminded me of the story of when Jacob came to his blind old father, Isaac. Remember that story? Jacob was a crook. And he wants to get a blessing from his father. And his father has a son he really loves. It's called Esau. And so while Esau's away, Jacob goes out and puts on Esau's clothes. Puts hairy skins around his neck and hands. And comes to his father, hoping against hope that his father won't realize and say, Hey, what are you doing? No, no, I'm coming hidden. I'm hidden in the son that you love. I was praying once and I felt God said to me, don't be scared, I'll find you hidden in the son that I love because I put you there. I put you in the son that I love and you're thoroughly accepted and you're blessed, blessed, hidden. And when I come and pray these days, I often remember that story and say, Lord, here I come, hidden in the son you love. Just feel his clothing. Catch the fragrance of his obedience. The way he did everything you wanted him to do. The way he went to the cross. I'm hidden in that. Hallelujah. That's God's arrangement. So says in Ephesians 1, we're accepted in the son that he loves. I'll close with this. John Bunyan, old Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said one day he was walking and he felt dejected. He felt low. He said, I saw a vision of Christ as my righteousness. Fascinating that Puritan saw visions. He saw a vision of Christ as his righteousness. He said, I suddenly realized there's nothing I can do to add to that righteousness and there's nothing I can do to take away from that righteousness. He is my righteousness and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. 
He is by righteousness. We reign in life because God's given us a righteousness free. It's all free. He's given to us, beloved. We don't have to keep trying to please that old husband. We've died to him. Let him keep on thundering the law out there, but we've died to him. We've been raised to be joined to a new husband that we might be changed from the inside. He can impregnate me with his living word and make me change from inside by a loving relationship with this husband that I want to get to know more and more. He changed me. He changes me. He puts all his fruit inside me. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. He's changing me. It's not I'm trying to keep these rules. I've got a husband who can change me. It's a much better deal. No wonder the word better, covenant, appears so many times in the book of Hebrews. This is better. It's the new and better covenant. We're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. Amen, beloved? We're going to look at this for these four Sundays that I'm with you. We're going to open it up little by little, and I'm hoping and praying. I've been praying a lot for you as we've come up to these weeks. God, as a people, let us left. We say, Lord, you're on top. You're in charge. You've welcomed me into your victory. We reign in life because of this breathtaking grace. Let's enjoy it. Let's know the wonders of our salvation. For me, when I suddenly saw it, it was like getting born again, again. It really was. And we began to see a church with its heads started to come up. Because, hey, we're not under law. We're under grace. Don't forget, please, if you can, the book there, I'd love you to get into it. Today, other days when we're here, let's really get, in, let's get it into us. It really thrills us and grips us and changes us. Can we just pray? I don't know if we sing or not. Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace that sets us free. And Father, we just pray for every, I pray for everyone here that we might celebrate the wonder of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.